Would you stand with me for a moment? Just put your hands together and praise Jesus for his blood. Keep clapping. Keep praising him. Keep praising him. Jesus, we praise you for your blood that was shed, your blood that makes us whole, your blood that cleanses our sins, your blood that causes us to be your children, your blood that rewrites our eternal address, your blood that gives us hope. Praise you, Jesus. You may be seated. You know, we read in Psalm chapter 103 that his love for us is as high as the heavens are above the earth. Those are the words. Your love for me, O God, is as high as the heavens are above the earth. When, when my brother and I were children, we shared a bedroom, and we each had these matching twin-sized beds. They were the kind of beds that stacked into bunk beds. Sometimes they would be stacked. Sometimes they'd be beside each other. And I remember one night when the beds were beside one another, my brother and I were falling asleep, and we would oftentimes uh, theorize and philosophize and search out the deep meanings of life. And my brother uttered, Jesus is so big. He couldn't even fit on these beds. And I remember thinking about that for a moment, and I said, yeah, Jesus is so big, his feet would probably hang off the edge. And my brother said, Jesus is so big, he couldn't even fit in this room. And now we were on a roll. And so I said, Jesus is so big, he couldn't even fit into this house. And then we fell asleep, our minds both Satisfied and wearied for how far we'd stretched our imaginations. Now, obviously, our conclusions about Jesus were decidedly understated, but our method in conceiving the inconceivable was sound. We were employing a metaphor to help us understand what we can't get. And that's what God was doing in that verse in Psalm 103. Knowing that our finite minds cannot grasp his infinite love, he provided for us a metaphor to stretch and try to help us get it. And in that metaphor in Psalm 103, he says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my love for you. A metaphor is something that represents something else to help us understand that something else. The metaphor that God gave us were the heavens, height above the earth. And what that was to symbolize or represent or help us get was his love for us. And so all week long, I've spent hours just contemplating God's love for me and God's love for you. By trying to wrap my mind around that metaphor that he gave us in Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for you and for me. How high are the heavens above the earth? Well, if we got in a 747 jet and we took off, uh, we were cruising along and going 600 miles an hour over the Atlantic Ocean, and the pilot decided to fly to the sun, and so he just went straight up. At 600 miles an hour, after flying for about 17 years, we would finally reach the sun. After traveling a 93 million mile span, 600 miles an hour, 17 years to travel 93 million miles. The sun is high above the earth. 
The sun is so large, in fact, that one million earths could fit inside the sun. But if we accelerated the speed from 600 miles an hour to light speed, which is 186,000 miles per second, and we made a dart for a star in our Milky Way galaxy called Majoris Canis, or Canis Majoris, traveling at 186,000 miles per second, we would reach that star in 5,000 years. In fact, that star is so big that our sun can fit inside that star one million times. And our sun and that star are only two suns in our galaxy that is home to 100 billion, some say 400 billion stars. How large would a galaxy have to be to be able to host 250 billion stars. Well, again, flying at 186,000 miles per second, we would go from one side of the Milky Way galaxy to the other in about 100,000 years. And that's just our Milky Way galaxy. And our Milky Way galaxy is just one galaxy amongst trillions and trillions of galaxies in our universe. There are more galaxies in our universe than there are stars in our Milky Way galaxy. How big would a galaxy, would a universe have to be to host these trillions of trillions of galaxies that all host billions and billions of stars? Our universe is estimated to be about 156 billion light years in breadth which is unfathomable. But what's even more unfathomable about that is that scientists tell us, physicists tell us that the universe, though it is 156 billion light years, light years wide, it is expanding faster than the speed of light. And even the galaxies that we can observe today from our Earth are expanding. Though we can't see it, they are expanding faster than the speed of light. The heavens are indeed high above the earth, aren't they? But stretch your imagination even more. Most scientists and physicists and astronomers now tell us that our universe is just one in an infinite number of billions and billions and trillions of universes. No wonder David prayed, oh, when I consider the heavens and the work of your hands, and I consider man, I think, what is man that you are mindful of him? And doesn't that give a whole new light to the concept that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love toward you and toward me. So when we consider God's love toward you and toward me, we have to employ the same terminology that we use when we consider the universe and the cosmos which contains the infinite number of universes. So what is God's love toward you? God's love toward you is big. Really, really, really big. God's love toward you is mind-bogging. God's love toward you is staggering. And if you ever try to search out the boundaries of God's love, you realize there are none. And that love is expanding faster than the speed of light. God's love for you is unconditional. It's inexhaustible. It's incalculable. It's incomprehensible. This is God's love for you. This is God's love for me. 
This is God's love for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Think about this. The one who created it all came to this speck of dust. This place called earth. Just a, as some have called it, pale blue dot. In a solar system that swallows it up. Which is just a speck of light in the outer rim of our Milky Way galaxy, which is just a speck of dust in the greater universe, which is just a grain of sand in an any infinite number of universes. The one who created it all came to this speck of dust called Earth to say, I love you, and to give his life for us, for our sins. God loves us that much. And God loves the world that much. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a mission, and that's to tell everyone everywhere about this love. And once they are into this love, once they are Christians, once they are born-again followers of Jesus Christ, our job is then to encourage people in this love. Because there is an epidemic, more than an epidemic, there's a pandemic. An epidemic is a widespread disease in a community. A pandemic is a widespread disease in an entire country or the entire world. There is a pandemic today, and the pandemic is called discouragement. We are facing a pandemic called discouragement. Discouragement is a pain in your heart. It's a disappointment. It's a listlessness. It's a despondency. It's a dispiritedness because of the way things are or the way things seem to be. And chances are every single person that you know has some seed in their heart or in their mind that they're having to battle called discouragement. Their discouragement could be, the, could, could be as a result of the way that their life is unfolding. Their discouragement could be that, that their marriage is unraveling more quickly than they know how to communicate. Their discouragement could be that their ministry isn't what they hoped it would be, that they aren't what they hoped that they would be. They could be discouraged because of the way their vocation is unfolding. They could be discouraged because every day they go to work, they get a beat down from their supervisors or from their co-workers. They could be discouraged because when they come home, they get the exact same beat down. They could be discouraged because of their financial situation. They could be discouraged for any number of reasons. And when that seed of discouragement begins, to grow. They could then be discouraged for dark spiritual reasons because Satan finds opportunity and the imps find opportunity to beat down those who are already down and to whisper lies and sometimes shout lies like, who are you to think you can pray? Who are you to think you can dream? Who are you to think you can have joy? Who are you to think that your life counts? If your family knew who you really were, they would be so ashamed of you. If your church knew who you really were, they would never accept you. And so the pandemic continues of people walking around with this intense discouragement, this pain that causes lethargy and listlessness and dispiritedness and anything people put their hand to. The Apostle Paul waged war on discouragement. He would go from one town to the next and tell people about the great love of Jesus Christ and establish one church at a time, one town at a time, one city at a time. And then he would go back through those towns where he established churches for a singular objective, and that was to encourage the saints. So if you have your Bibles, look in Acts chapter 20. 
Acts chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. Paul sent for the disciples. And after, watch this word, encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them, watch this word again, much encouragement, he came to Greece. Now, let's not misunderstand encouragement. Encouragement is not saying nice things, flattering things, or complimentary things to somebody. Flattery is not encouragement. Being nice is not encouraging. Compliments in and of themselves are not encouragement. This is encouragement. It is coming alongside somebody. Supporting them. Building them up. Strengthening them. And bringing bringing about change in each other through Christ. And if God saw fit, the one who created it all, to do a swan dive through the entire cosmos, to this pale blue dot called Earth, to become one of us, to say, I love you, and to die for our sins, to give us eternal life, and then through the Holy Spirit to keep us encouraged. And that's what the Holy Spirit is, an encourager, one who comes along within us and beside us to strengthen us, challenge us, grow us, build us up. If that was God's mission, then shouldn't that be our mission? for the people outside of the church and for one another within the church. We have all been commissioned with the assignment of encouraging a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we've been given the assignment of encouraging one another. The word encouragement, the Greek word that it appears from, appears 110 times in the New Testament. Let's look at some examples in the New Testament alone on encouraging. In Acts alone, for that matter. He rejoiced and began to encourage them with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Acts 11.23. They returned, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Acts 15.32. And Judas and Silas, not Judas Iscariot, and Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Acts 15, 38. Paul said to Barnabas, let us return to visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Acts 16, 40. So they went out of prison. What did Paul do when he came out of prison? Was he ticked off and bitter and angry? No. When they saw the brethren, they encouraged them. Acts 18. The brothers encouraged Paul. Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them. Those are just some examples in the book of Acts on encouraging. Let's look at some scriptures in the New Testament commanding us to encourage one another. Galatians, bear one another's burdens. That's encouraging. Come along beside and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, and we urge you, encourage the faint-hearted. Satan kicks the faint-hearted. We are to encourage the faint-hearted. We are to seek out the faint-hearted. Colossians 2.2, that their hearts may be encouraged. Colossians 4.8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that he may encourage your hearts. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort or encourage one another every day. How often are we to do it? As long as it's called today. If you ever wake up and today is called today, that's the day that we are commanded to encourage people within the church. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, to encourage one another. Not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, 
but encouraging one another. It was unthinkable to the Apostle Paul to ever go to church just to go to church. It was unthinkable to Paul just to serve in ministry because you're supposed to serve in ministry. There was a passionate objective fueling him going to church and visiting churches and serving in ministry and going to groups. And that objective was to encourage one another, to encourage them. So as we unpack the rest of Acts chapter 20, we're going to look at how Paul encouraged. It is an amazing chapter. How did Paul encourage? But we have a video I want to show you. It's an oldie but goodie. You guys have seen it before. And the most encouraging way to encourage others is for us, for you and me, to first and foremost get our eyes off of ourselves, to get our eyes off of our problems, to get our eyes off of our disappointments, and to get our eyes on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whose love for us is greater than the heavens above the earth. Okay, let's look at this. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. 
He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, open it to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Let's encourage the world with the King of Kings. Let's learn to encourage one another with the King of Kings and who we are in Christ. We have to see Christ high and lifted up. And then we have to see who we are in Christ. We are clothed with His righteousness. Oftentimes people think, I can't encourage anybody. I'm just this or I'm just that. What? You are created by the creator of the cosmos and recreated, born again, and you are holy and pure. You are the very righteousness of Christ. No, it is not about you. It's about him in you. Therefore, you have all authority to encourage one another in Christ. We have to see the King of Kings. We have to see who we are in the King of Kings. And then we have to have the flat-out common sense. Perhaps it's spiritual discernment or relational common sense to discern discouragement in one another and to wage war on that discouragement first. We encourage each other through community. Acts chapter 20, verse 3 through 6. Here are some Greek names I'm about to stumble through. There he spent three months, Paul... And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Pater and Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, it would have been much easier if uh, the context of Scripture were written out of Burleson, Texas, where where I live. Articus and Secundus and Gaius and Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after days of, uh, after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to Troas where we stayed for seven days. What was the purpose of putting all of those names in there? It was a very distinct purpose, and the purpose was for us to understand that Paul was not a loner. Paul was very passionate. Paul was very focused. Paul was, was, was absolutely committed on, on sharing the gospel with as many people as broadly as he could. But he was not a loner. He could have outran many people, but he chose not to. He slowed down. He intentionally slowed down his pace a bit in order to bring other people along with him because it was very important to Paul to pour in to these people. And 
So it is with all of us. Every leader in our church needs to have a co-leader. Every ministry leader needs to have a co-leader. Every home group leader needs to have a co-leader. Every person in Christ needs to have a team of people, a community of people, people that we pour into, people that pour into us. Every one of us needs a Paul in our life, relationally, somebody who speaks truth into our life. Every one of us needs a Barnabas in our life, somebody who will come along beside us as an equal and encourage us. Every one of us needs needs a Timothy in our life, somebody that we can bring up in the Lord. You say, well, I'm brand new in the Lord, or I'm really messed up. Surely you can find somebody in this world a little more messed up than you. (laughs) I found a few people, just a few, a little more messed up than me. We can all find somebody a little more messed up that we can bring up. We all need a Barnabas. We all need a Paul. We all need a Timothy in our lives. We all need to be doing life within the context of community. If I hadn't been doing life within the context of community for the last 20 years, I promise you, I would not be in the ministry today. I remember my Barnabases and my Pauls and my Timothys in the Young Life days when I was in college and, you know, the, the, the early to mid-90s, I was going to school. UTA it was a commuter environment. It was just like going to the office. My, and I was working a couple of jobs, but, but, but my real life and heart and passion was Young Life. It was completely volunteer, but I was pouring all of my heart into Young Life. And I just wanted as many kids at Eastern Hills High School to come to Christ. And I was pouring into these kids and uh, going out there by myself, you know, just getting there with, with gas was a struggle, but there was this family there called the McDonald's. Their daughter, Laura, was one of my Young Life kids, and the McDonald's took me under their wing. They would give me gas money. They would open up their home for me to have Young Life night, and they poured into me. They prayed for me. They encouraged me. They would oftentimes put their arm around me and say, are you called in the ministry? And I said, oh, no, no, no. I'm just going to school. I'm going to pursue business. I just, want, I just want to see kids saved. That's all. And they would put their arm around me and say, God's got a plan for you. Just know that we're praying for you. And I learned to lean very heavily on their encouragement. They were God's gift to me during that season. And there were many times I was discouraged and feeling like giving up. But their encouragement kept me going. And the next ministry that I was part of, I had a good encourager. His, his buddy, his, he was a buddy of mine. His name was Sean Socher. We were trying to build this coffee house, and our motto was serving the good news over live music and a hot cup of joe. So bands would come in and play, and I'd just get up and share the gospel. And we were renovating this coffee house, and, and we were raising money for it. The first round was about 40000 The second round was about 40000 And we were just a bunch of broke ragamuffins. I mean, the first offering we collected for this thing was $13. <laughs> and I realized it's going to be a long journey. And I, I, I knew that a lot of our group went to IHOP, so I caught up with them at IHOP. And I said, hey, after you guys finish tipping the waitress, could you please tip our ministry just a little bit more? We've got a long ways to go. And I think we, we brought in 20 more dollars after IHOP. And we, we raised some money, and we were able to rewire and put electricity up and put some, you know, insulation and sheetrock up and all that stuff. And all the money that, that, that came in, it was time to paint. And I scraped up the last money we had to put some paint on the walls. And I realized that paint wasn't my thing. Picking out paint wasn't my thing. We had the painter there, and he had the paint gun. He sprayed it everywhere. And if puke had a color, the walls now look like puke. And I I just raised all this money and squeezed the last amount of dollars out of everybody to spray our walls with this puke color. And and so... (laughs) There was a roll of carpet in the middle of the coffee house. 
And I remember sitting down on it, just covered in this puke-colored paint, just really discouraged, broke. And uh, I think opening night was like the next night or the, maybe a few nights later. And this buddy, Sean Sosha, he walked in and he sat down beside me on that roll of carpet. And he looked around and he said, you know, unlike so many of your other mistakes, this one can be painted over. <laughs> it's okay. And he said, I've got a few extra bucks. Let's, let's go get some more paint. I remember one night, one day I was studying, this was years before we started HopeWorks, I was studying at a coffee shop and just studying for one of these Friday night messages at this coffee house, and, and a friend of mine, a stranger sat down across from me and he said, so you're reading scripture? I said, yeah, I'm just reading the Bible, and, and he said, oh, and he said, I'm Luke Gilcrease. I said, hey Luke, I'm Shane Gray. He said, nice to meet you. He said, you know, <clears throat> I'm in a place in my life, I could, I could use a brother in Christ if you could. I said, yeah, sure. We swapped numbers. I never thought, you know, anything would necessarily come out of it. I invited him out to the Friday night ministry to hear the gospel. And he brought a whole bunch of people from his college with him, TCU. And they were all out there. And I was up there preaching the gospel. And Luke was sitting down in the front row. And, and I remember that day I had this easel. And I was using this easel to make some illustration. It started to fall over. And Luke leaned over and he tightened it up and sat back down. And he said that the Lord spoke to his heart right then. Your calling in life is to support this man. And that was however many years ago. And he's still been encouraging me. I think Luke has prayed for me more than I've prayed for me over the years. I think he's shed more tears for me in dark hours of my soul than I have shed for myself. Remember the darkest year of my life. It was actually one of the best. You know how that goes. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It's a purging time. And uh, I don't know how I would have made it without my home group every Tuesday night going to Robert and Susie's. Sometimes just throughout the week, I thought, man, I wish there were Tuesday night. Sometimes I thought, I just want to go sit in their living room. They'll come home from work and see me sitting in their living room and weird them out a little bit. But it was just such a safe place for me and such an encouraging place for me. Over the years, there have been people who would put their arm around me and say, you know, I don't know what God has planned for your life. But you have this love for Jesus. Just keep seeking him. God's going to use you. And I look back over my life and think of all the encouragement and think of living within the context of community and can't imagine my life without it. And I can't imagine why some of you might be living outside the context of community. I can't do that. I can't imagine why some of you, even if you are doing good, even if you are in your A game, even if you are on the mountaintop of life, how you could be so selfish as to not live in community so as to encourage those who are not in that same season. We encourage one another through community. Secondly, we encourage one another through compassion, Acts 20, verse 7 through 13. And we pick up with Paul's story in Acts 20, and it continues. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread... Paul talked with them and intending to part on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So I never want to, again, hear anybody complain about how long my sermons were. Paul preached until midnight. It even says he prolonged his speech. You can, Luke, who wrote this, you can just see him. He prolonged his speech. You can just see the weariness when he writes it in verse 4. There were many lamps in the upper room and where we were gathered. Now Luke, at some point throughout the book of Acts, transitioned his terminology from third person to first person. And now Dr. Luke is saying, we. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep... He fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. He died. He fell off and died. 
Watch this, verse 10. This is a great little nugget. And Paul went down and bent over and taking him in his arms said, don't be alarmed for his life is in him. And when he had gone up, he had broken bread and eaten and conversed with them a long while until daybreak. Paul talked and shared and encouraged all night long. (laughs) And then he departed. And the youth went away alive, and they were all not just a little comforted. In other words, they were big time comforted. Why do we read that? Well, because this kid, Eutychus, he fell off and he died. And I believe that all throughout our midst, all throughout our congregation, there are people who fall off and they fall down and they die spiritually, they die emotionally, they lose heart, they are discouraged. Every person you lock eyes with is on the verge of giving up because of a seed of discouragement. Some days they're doing better, some days they're not. And we all need to wage war, and we all, against that seed of discouragement, and we all need to develop discerning eyes to see how people are doing, to see beyond the smiles, to see beyond the, hey, I'm doing great, how are you? And we need to see into their heart how they are really doing. Well, how do we do that? First of all, Paul went down. Paul recognized that somebody had fallen down. We need to have the spiritual discernment or the relational common sense. To recognize when people are down spiritually. I'm oftentimes amazed when I see people who's fighting a battle of discouragement and they're not doing well and they're on the verge of giving up and they may come up here to, you know, do some ministry assignment or something of that nature and somebody just walks over and says something harsh, abrasive, and I'm thinking, do you have no discernment? Can you not see that they're discouraged? How, how did that miss you, your, your judgment? How did that, how, how did that not register? How do you not have that concept relationally? Oftentimes, I'm just amazed how two people sit right beside each other, and I I know what's going on in each of their lives, or even if I don't know, I can see that they're despondent and listless and discouraged and dispirited, and how two people can sit right next to one another and not even attempt to encourage one another. Again, the thing of ministry isn't just doing something or going somewhere. At the heart of it, we are to be encouragers. We are to be one another's greatest encouragers. So first of all, we have to recognize, we have to have the discernment to know that somebody is down. And so we just need to slow down and realize relationships trump responsibilities. We don't put people before tasks, or we we always put tasks, people before tasks, And so we have to stop. And then once we discern that somebody's down, we bend down. Another translation says that Paul went down, and then the NIV says, doesn't say he bent down, the NIV says he threw himself on the boy. Let's throw ourselves on people who are down. You know, when you you have a cut, the cells in your body run to that cut and they nurture it and they, 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 they build a scab around it or when you injure your, your shoulder as I've recently done or you injure something in your body you, you nurse it, you watch out for it, you're mindful of it, you're careful of it, the other parts of your body guard it and that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do when somebody is wounded and somebody is knocked down we are to rush there, we are to bend down, that's a servant posture we are to serve the faint hearted and we are to throw ourselves on them And then it says, Paul took him into his arms. Another translation says, Paul put his arm around him. And that means that we are to show them encouragement. We are to show them love. We are to put our arm around them. We are to show them strength. Are you an encourager? Are you aware of people in your life who are discouraged? We are to be 
There are people in our peripheral vision who have fallen spiritually and emotionally, and we are to discern that, rush to them, bend down, throw ourselves on them, and take them in our arms. Thirdly, we are to encourage each other through humility. Verse 17 through 19. Paul continues. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they had came to him, he said, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Why don't we hear big name pastors talk like that these days? Rather than rattling off numbers and statistics and business policies and procedures, why don't we hear people champion this culture? I serve the Lord among you with all humility and with tears. This is what God esteems. And with many trials through the plots of the Jews, and yet he didn't run away. This is humility. In all humility we serve one another. And what is humility? Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. How can we think less of ourselves? We're the king of kings' children. We are the very righteousness of Christ. Humility is just thinking about ourselves less, and it's thinking more often of other people, and it's having eyes to see what's going on in their world so that we build them up. And then fourthly, we encourage each other through courage. Verse 24, 23, 24. Paul went on to say, I was among you, and I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in the public and from house to house and testifying to you and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testified to me in every city. I was talking about this passage with Robbie Bollinger earlier, and we talked about, you know, when, when you read all of this chapter, you just you know, you discern that the Apostle Paul had a sense that his departure was at hand, that his time on this earth was borrowed, that his remaining days were clearly few. And he had the sense of finality when he was addressing the elders of the church at Ephesus. And he knew that in going to Jerusalem, it could mean his life. It would certainly mean his freedom. It could mean his life. And yet he went compelled by the Holy Spirit, because that imprisonment was actually going to be the opportunity to stand before the court of Caesar in Rome as he appealed in Jerusalem so that he could preach the gospel to Caesar. That was his goal, to get to Rome and preach the gospel. And so he knew that that was going to be at the expense of his own life. But his life wasn't in his hands. His life was in the Lord's hands. He surrendered his life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even more than that, because our idea of how to expand the gospel of Jesus Christ may be different from God's because our perspective is limited. So he surrendered control of his life to God, trusting that God knew best how to expand the gospel of Jesus Christ through him. That's courage. Surrendering our will, surrendering our control. And that invites into our weary and discouraged hearts so much peace and so much joy just to be able to say my life is not in my hands lords it's in yours and even if things unfold in a manner that i would have planned it differently i understand that my perspective is limited and i understand that yours is infinite so i surrender not only my life but control of my life 
And I surrender my understanding. And in that, I'm going to take incredible joy and incredible peace in just trusting you, Lord. I just trust you. About a year before HopeWorks bought this building, uh, my home church, it was a big church, and they they just built a state-of-the-art auditorium, a thousand-seat theater, and a big campus on the busiest road in town. The elders called me back to encourage the congregation. And they treated me like I was, like, Martin Luther King Jr. delivering the I Have a Dream speech. I mean, it just, it just connected. And, and then, you know, I went and I encouraged the deacons and the elders. And I think there was 12 elders and 33 deacons. And, and I was praying about taking, you know, going and being the pastor there. Well, a few days at the end of this process, they said, you know, the, the, the elders voted. It's unanimous. And uh, I think the deacons voted. I, I forget what the percentage was. It wasn't unanimous. But they said, we want you to come be our pastor. And, and I wanted to want it. And I would go walk around that state of the art auditorium, and my spirit just grieved this is a year before we had a building, seven, six years into being nomads, a real difficult season at our church. And I would go hang out with the youth on Wednesday nights, and my heart was just alive and hungry. And I tried to shake both of those feelings and want to want that, but I couldn't. And so I surrendered how I thought it was supposed to look and how I thought it was supposed to go and I surrendered my life and when I surrendered my life the Holy Spirit flooded my heart with peace and joy because God knows and I think that's courage surrendering our will to His will surrendering our ways to His way and finding peace in His sovereign hand and five we encourage each other through commitment. As we read in Acts 20, 25 through 36, we see that Paul encouraged the elders to commit to follow Jesus, even when things change. He said, you're not going to see my face again, but follow Jesus. Though none go with me, I still will follow. If things change around here, and things oftentimes change in a local church, we still follow We commit to follow and speak the truth, even at the risk of our own life. We commit to follow and care for the flock. We commit to follow and stand firm and not run. We commit to follow to shed tears for each other. We commit to follow to put one foot, to put others before ourselves. And we commit to follow to love each other. Would you stand with me, please? My prayer was that through Acts chapter 20, that you would be encouraged to be an encourager, or that you would be challenged to be an encourager, or perhaps you would be convicted to be an encourager. But I ask you to pray that you would relinquish the reins of your life to Jesus Christ and invite His Holy Spirit to make you an encourager. Would you do that? Let's be the greatest encouragers to a lost and dying world. Let's be the greatest encouragers to people within the church, and let's do that through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's do that by sharing the love of Christ with one another. Paul was so passionate to establish one church at a time through sharing the gospel. 
but he was equally as passionate to going back to those churches and encouraging the people there in Christ. Just the thought of going to church was unthinkable. We show up to encourage. Or maybe you're in a season that you just want to show, that that you just need to be encouraged. I've been there. But know that in that season in your life, his strength is being made perfect in your weakness, and everything within you wants to isolate. But in that season in your life, you are more anointed than you've ever been. And if it is indeed the darkest hour of your soul in your entire life, you are more anointed than you will ever be. I promise you. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. When you don't think you can go on, when you just want to isolate yourself, you don't even have to try to encourage. All you have to do is just show up and just be loving. And then when you do that, there's something about you. It's God's strength that's made perfect in weakness that is so deeply healing and ministering. You know, I never thought about it in these terms before, but that season I was going to the Tuesday night home group and being so encouraged, I guess I was the most encouraging person there (laughs) because that was my weakest. And his strength was made perfect on me. So don't isolate yourself. God has something very special flowing through you. And you know, wouldn't it serve this church well? If maybe you're in your car or on Sunday morning before you get out of bed, you pray, Lord, use me today. Use me. Well, the most important ministry that, that, that we have, one of the most important ministries we have is the greeter ministry. It's not the greeter ministry. It's the encouragement ministry. We don't need born-again followers of Jesus Christ to hand a bulletin to somebody. We need born-again followers of Jesus Christ who are spirit-filled to encourage people. Everything that we do around here is encouragement. Encourage people in Christ. And again, that's just not saying, although you do look sharp, you got to give credit where credit is due. Kendall, you look sharp today. But it's not just being nice. It's speaking the truth in Christ to people so that they can align their heart's perspective and their mind's perspective and their lives to the truth in Christ. And we do that sometimes through tears. We do that sometimes through speaking encouraging words. We do that sometimes through speaking challenging, convicting words that are difficult, but we don't shrink back from speaking the truth in love, and so we build people up. So, would you bow your heads with me? I wonder how many of you today would commit to being an encourager to people within this church family. Raise your hand. Hold your hands high. Keep your hands up. Father, you see these hands. This is not a flippant deal on our behalf. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ that your Holy Spirit would fill us up and overflow and make us encouragers to the body of Christ. You may put your hands down. I wonder how many of you would commit to being an encourager to a lost and dying world through the gospel of Jesus Christ? If there is a children's ward with a deadly epidemic and you alone had the serum would you not run in and hold it up and say here it is I've got it if people were dying of thirst all around you and you had a garage full of Ozarka bottled water would you not share it and say here it is I have water we have a lost and dying world and we have the cure we have the solution we have the living water and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ will we not commit to encouraging them with it if you would commit to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world would you raise your hands Father you see these hands holy hands lifted high and we pray in Jesus name that you would give us a holy on fire boldness 
to encourage people with the gospel of life, bringing them into your kingdom, encouraging them to be reconciled to you, encouraging them to receive life and eternal life. In Jesus' name. You know, guys, we have an opportunity where we're just going to partner together. It's the first Sunday of October. We're going to have an invite Sunday. I'm going to share the gospel in its simplicity. We're going to have a testimony of how Christ has changed somebody's life. We're going to invite people to respond. Every time we do this, we see people come to Christ. And so I would like to ask you just to spend some time praying for this Sunday that many people come to Christ. And I would also like to ask you to pray that the Holy Spirit put somebody on your heart to encourage to be here as we encourage them to coming to Christ. So let's just spend some time as a church family and lift up our church family in the spirit of encouragement to be upon us, to encourage a dying world to life and encourage one another in the church to keep on keeping on. You know, in my studies this past week, I actually learned some really amazing things. You know, if you look at million, billion, trillion, some numbers get really, really high. Numbers I never even thought of. Um, You know, the Bible says God's thoughts of you outnumber the grains of sand on a beach. And people have actually calculated how many grains of sand there are on a beach. It's like seven and a half octillion. It's just a fascinating number. No, no, no. Seven and a half quintillion, I think it is. Seven and a half quintillion. There are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on the beach. And there's like one sextillion stars in the universe, which is just an astronomical, inconceivable number. So there's like seven and a half quintillion grains of sand on the beach. There's like one sextillion Uh, stars in the universe. But this is the part that I found really fascinating. Did you know that there are more atoms in your body than there are stars in the universe and sands on all the beaches of the earth combined? There's like, there's like five octillion atoms in your body. Which means that you are more special, you are more intricately designed, and you are more valuable than the entire planet Earth and universe combined. No wonder God left heaven to earth for you, and your soul is much more valuable than your body. And that means that every single person you see, it might be somebody off the streets, it might be your boss. They are more intricately designed. They are more priceless. They are more precious. They are more valuable. That individual than the entire earth and universe combined. And if they matter enough to God for him to come from heaven to earth to encourage them with his love and gospel, they ought to matter that much to us. You know, outside in my yard, there's plants that are wilting and in this heat, so, you know, I, I spent a lot of work putting them there, so I try to keep them alive. I, I should just start, you know, landscaping with rocks and cactuses, because I keep those alive best, but I've learned that I've got to give special water and special attention to the things that are wilting, and so it is within the body of Christ, is we see people who are dispirited and lethargic, 
and weary and feel like giving up. We don't run past them with our assignments and tasks. We slow down and we water those weary souls because they matter to God. And if they don't matter to us, it means that we need to realign our life to truth. So let's encourage one another. And let's encourage a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Let's praise Jesus. You are dismissed. God bless you.